This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. friends and welcome to another episode of lead singer syndrome i am your host as always shane told so great to have you um on episode 27 of the podcast i can't believe we've already done 27 of these things um but it's rad i'm having so much fun doing it thank you so much for being here if it's your first time tuning in this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. And today we have a great front man and one of my best friends in music, absolutely, Anthony Ranieri of Bayside. Now, I don't want to get too much into the story of how me and Anthony met because we talk about it in the podcast, but I've known him a very, very long time. In fact, he's one of the first other front men on tour I ever met. Uh, so it's cool. He's not only one of my oldest friends, but also one of my best friends. So it was so great to talk to him. Uh, he's been through some shit lately. I've been through some shit lately. So it was really, really nice just to talk to an old friend and chat and just really open up about everything from you know his upbringing to songwriting to their new album, Vacancy, which is coming out very soon. And he talks all about that and really interesting stuff in this podcast. And I know you're going to enjoy it. So stick around. It's a long one, but stick around till the end because the, the best stuff comes probably around the hour, hour 10 mark. So, so stay in for the long haul. Okay, guys. And as always, I love hearing from you guys. Please feel free to get in touch. Uh, my favorite way is probably hitting us up on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N. Uh, we've got Instagram, at Lead Singer Syndrome. There's a Facebook page set up. I'm sure you can search and find relatively easily. And of course, if you're old school like me, uh, just send an old-fashioned email, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. And I love to hear suggestions for the show of guests, um, any feedback. Somebody complained last week the... Uh, Audio is too quiet. I'm sorry if that was the case. Uh, I didn't. It's funny because I didn't actually use proper mastering software for the first time. So hey, there you go. Right? Uh, someone calls me out on it. So that's what it's for. Uh, I really don't want this just to be 
me talking to you guys. I really love it to be a back and forth, just like we have uh, every week with our guests. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, This is a long one, so I'm going to cut this short. But the only thing I want to say right now is if you love the show, please check out the Amazon affiliate link. All you got to do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That takes you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal. Put in your details, you'll be signed in, and whatever you buy, we get 4%. And Amazon sells everything. So please, if you ever shop on Amazon or online at all, uh, if you can use that link, it's just leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It would really help us out. Anyways, let's keep this intro short, and let's hit it right now. Here's my dude, Anthony Ranieri of Bayside. up bud how are you dude good man nice to talk to you yeah likewise i'm glad that we I'm glad that we finally uh we're finally doing this finally connected yeah i know like uh i think this is like i'm like 26 episodes in or something and i nice. figured when i started this you'd be like one of the first people yeah um, right but no man this this um this shit's been going well for me man like um not only has it you know been successful but i like i fucking have a blast doing it that's great yeah, man. Some of the talk conversations you have with people are just like, are crazy. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I so mean, let's jump talking in. Talking to your friends, talking to your friends is, it's a way, it makes for a much better interview, much more interesting than it, like yeah. just a question answer thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, it's interesting too. Like, I mean, usually I'll go through, like, I'll look at a band's, like, at least, like, I'll look at, like, a Wikipedia or I'll, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I do, like, research, right? Like, I guess you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm no fucking journalist, but I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but today, I'm like, really? Am I going to go Google my friend Anthony? Like, do yeah. I really have to do that? <laughs> so I don't have any. I don't have any notes, but um, I figure we got we got lots to talk about. Yeah, for sure, and it's good timing too because we just announced. Uh, yeah, announced I know the new record and the tour and all that. So vacancy. Yeah, and when does it come out? So the people. Uh, no. Oh shit! I guess I should know that. I think it's August nineteenth, but I guess I'll August double 19th. check that. Okay. Cool. So uh, it's crazy how how far in advance you announce records now. It's I like know four months. That's so nuts. You know what's crazy too? Like the the records coming out like kind of end of summer, just before the fall. You know? Yeah. Yep. And uh, sorry if I'm seem distracted. I'm just double checking the release date. I'm Google. I, I, now I'm actually googling myself. You're googling yourself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's August nineteenth. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, so you know, it's funny how how these things work, and I know that you can definitely relate. Is uh, like we the records coming out late summer before the fall. Really, I mean, there's a lot of bands that we're all friends with. Yellow Card's in the studio right now. TBS is in the studio right now. Yeah. Um, Every Time I Die is in the studio right now. Like, all those, like, if you're in the studio now, it's more for like a fall release. Yeah. And we, you know, we obviously want to tour around 
the around the record and the fall as you know is just like such a busy touring season so we for the last like five years have not done a fall tour we stay off the road in the fall just just stay away from all the traffic we do i think it's smart yeah yeah we do spring tours pretty much every year and we um, take it with silverstein we take it a step further and we do like dead of the winter like we're we'll go out like the second week of January because no one's touring then. Right? Yeah, that makes you know? sense. Well, and but, you, you guys are you guys are conditioned from that for that. That's right. Know, we, damn right. <laughs> damn right. We are. But no. Um. So well, yeah. What's going to happen then if the record comes out August? You have this tour with um headlining tour with Menzingers. I saw too. Is yeah. that around? Is that around the record release? Yeah, it starts like a week before the the rele- the record comes out. The record will come out I think in the second week. Um of the uh of the tour and um so it's funny so we wanted to avoid that fall touring season so this is actually considered like rushing the record out you know and we're like announcing (laughs) it i mean we literally it just got mastered with today's friday it just got mastered on wednesday like when we announced it and everything like it wasn't we didn't even have the final mixes in yet yeah well it takes so long to press vinyl too that's a big thing now yeah and that's that's what it all comes down to yeah is it it's on hopeless again yep yeah, yeah, yeah. Great people at Hopeless. I know them all very well. Yeah. So, so no, yeah, I mean, and that's what it, we would we would have we would have put the release out like in in two months. You know what I mean? If it was up to us, we would have put the release out right. in two months and done like an earlier summer tour. But um, the reason we even have to wait the four months is, like you said, it's it's a, it's vinyl. You know, and vinyl is just too important nowadays to kind yeah. of ignore. You got really got to revolve the release around it. Sure. Well, the other thing too, I mean. Bands typically, like, you know, in our world, uh, don't really do summer tours unless it's like Warp Tour or one mm-hmm. of those kinds of things. So you guys are being smart, putting the record out, not in the fall and not in the, like, middle of the summer because, uh, you know, Warp Tour's, like, I think pretty much done at that point, right? Like, Warp Tour's done by, like, yeah, the second week of August or something. Yeah, I think Warp Tour ends the week before our tour, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So that's, uh, that's, that's really uh, smart thinking. Good work, Anthony. Yeah, we're trying to like fit fit it into that little pocket, you know. There's yeah. like a little, and then right when everybody goes back to school, is kind of a hard time to tour because people are busy and broke and all that. So, yeah, it kind of, we're trying to fit it right into that pocket. But now that Blink One Eighty Two announced their stupid tour, like right at the same time, <laughs> so there's there's like one show where we're in the same city at the same time, and we're like, okay, we got to try. So I think we're trying to do Shit. something about that. I think we're trying yeah. to get their, we're trying to get their show canceled or something. Yeah, get the, yeah, get the, yeah. yeah. Tell them they got to move. Yeah, I mean our show is up first, right? Well, maybe you can like go check out the show or something. You know, I don't know. That would be yeah. cool too. I don't know if you're a Blink fan. Uh, I yeah, feel like I've never really been a Blink fan. No, no, not really. It was weird, man. Back in like high school, we're about the same age. It was like Blink wasn't really that. Like they weren't really that cool, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. I think we all of the a sudden, yeah, and then all of a sudden, all the younger the younger generations like t- like talks about Blink like they're you know the second coming of, you know, it's like, like they're like legends. And I'm like, well, they're, I guess they got some cool tunes, but like, they weren't like the best band, you know, when like dude ranch came out or whatever, you know? Yeah. Dude ranch was cool. And, and by, yeah, by the time, like you said, by the time that they, they really had their moment, like, I think I, I think I was too steeped in punk rock to listen yeah. to, the, to the punk rock band that was on TRL at the time. Exactly. You know? Like, yeah. I think I was too punk for that at that, at that point. <laughs> I think I missed, I think people our age kind of missed the boat on it, maybe. Maybe. Oh, I remember they played a tour. I'm sure it came to New York. It was like a, a huge amphitheater tour and Bad Religion opened for them. 
Oh yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And, and I was like, I was like all pissed, you know, like, <laughs> my little teenage punk rock self was like, this is not right, man. Yeah. And now, that, and now, and now that's us in ways, you know, I don't know if you guys deal with the same thing. I see that too. when we take out bands and it's like, why are you opening for Bayside? Bayside's like this and that. Like, why are you opening for them? No, I think it's the other way around. When you open for like a younger band, then people are like, no way, man. Bayside's been around for 15 years. They got right. all these records. They're a way better band. They're like legends, dude. And yeah. And then you're like, what? The younger band's like bigger and they have younger fans and we want to be here. Right. We, we've only done that once. We've only done that once and it was a total disaster. And we, we kind of swore it off forever. We opened for, it was in Europe, and we opened for A Day to Remember in Europe, which at this point, I mean, those guys have been around for a long time. It's weird to call them the younger band. But, but at the time, they, they were, are, yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, and it, and it was a disaster. It was such a train wreck. We were getting booed every night. We were like, all right, we were like yeah, this is like, we, we have to swear off. Like, th- there's a lot of lessons in, the, in this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are not, I mean, Day to Remember is like, Heavy, a heavy fucking band, like double kick, off. dude. It scared us off so much that, the, that dude, I shit you not. The minute we landed from uh, coming back from that tour, I had an email waiting for me that I had got on the flight home. That open, you know, I opened when we landed. Yes, from our agent there saying uh, that Dropkick Murphys uh, wanted us to come back with them, go to Europe with them, which would have been a rad tour. Sure. You know, in hindsight for us, like that's a much better fit, but we were like so scared off by it. I was like, you know what? We just got booed by like 4,000, like 16 year old kids for a few weeks. Like, I don't know if I want to go back and get booed by like 7,000 like drunk adults. You know, like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's I can, crazy, man. I can like, handle, I can handle like the younger kids, like not getting what we're doing. You know, yeah. or at least like the kids who are into that heavier, you know, younger kids who are into the heavier music, not getting what we're doing. I was like, I don't want to go like that. Like a, a, if a dropkick, a German dropkick crowd turns on you, like that's, that's bad news. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so crazy to me, man, because I feel like, was this happening in Germany or more UK? It was more UK. It was for sure. Yeah, more UK. I can see yeah. that. Cause in Germany, I feel like they're way less, they like, they care way less about like the labels and stuff. You know, they're like, uh, well, yeah, is it loud? Does it have yeah. guitars? And right. they're like, that I like, you know, they, they aren't like really that worried about the, 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 oh, well, that's a metal core band and that's a death core band or like whatever bullshit. I don't even know what that is, you know, right. uh, um, stuff. I feel that way. So I'm, I'm surprised that, you, that that happened to you guys. Were all the other bands on the tour like super heavy? Uh, it was just us. It, it, Pierce the Veil was opening. It was Pierce the Veil and us and uh, and a day to remember. And Pierce the Veil had it pretty rough too, to be honest. Crazy. Which now, if that tour happened, it would be everybody would be would love it. You know what I mean? But they even had it pretty rough too. I think it was it was day to remember's moment over there. They were really yeah. starting to blow up, and I think it was a lot of people who were just so psyched. I don't think anybody really would have loved to have that spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, everybody was just so psyched to see data remember at that moment. Yeah, it's so amazing. It's so amazing how that happens, how people like fight and, you know, and and kick and scream to try to get a get an opening slot and then oops. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. And that you know, you learn that over the years though. More people like a big support tour, more people doesn't mean better show. That's true. That's very true. It's weird. I mean, you I know you did those Avril Lavigne shows and stuff like that. I don't know how that was for you, but yeah. like, you know, playing in front of a ton of people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make 10,000 new fans every day. 
No, and and well, we kind of fucked that up too. I'll tell the people that story because they won't understand it with Avril Lavigne. Yeah, Silverstein supported Avril Lavigne in Japan. Uh, this would have been like 2008, uh, and this was like a huge tour, right, man? Like, like it was. We played the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, know? I remember. I remember. Because, it was like, crazy. Was, and then and then that was that was one t- <clears throat> Tokyo show. Then we did two more, like twenty thousand arenas. So I don't even know. That's like seventy five thousand tickets in just in one city. Uh, so it was insane. But but it was cool because when we played, no no one knew what the hell was going on. Like, <laughs> I think most people there probably had never even heard a band scream before. Yeah. You know, yeah, makes sense. And it was it, the wild thing to me was like at first we're like, okay, we're opening for Avril Lavigne. It's a good opportunity. We're gonna play like our, you know, the softer stuff. You know, and then it it was going over like fine. Like people were respectful, and you know, in Japan they're like dead quiet between songs, and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but then all of a sudden one one day like four or five shows in. We're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just play like a ripping support set like we would if we were opening for A Day to Remember. Right. Uh, and we did it, and it, was, it went over way better. Yeah. Huh, and that's like, interesting. At first, you know, in the show, I'd be like screaming, and they'd be kind of weirded out. And then at the end of the set, I would like let out a scream, and they would all cheer. Nice. Yeah. It was so weird, dude. But, um, <laughs> but no, but at the same time, you're right. Like... We kind of fucked it up as we didn't like go. We should have went back like six months later. You know what I mean? We should have mm-hmm. done that. We didn't go back for like four years or something. And at, after you know when that you know long has passed, I don't know. I think we kind of missed the boat. But hey, whatever. Yeah, it's tough. You know what I mean? And I'm. I, we've thought we've thought about those things before. You know, like we've thought like we've turned down. We, I mean, we, at this point, we haven't done a support tour in like five years. We yeah. kind of it's just kind of not really our bag anymore. It's sort of more living like we're living on kind of an Island these days. You know what I mean? Which, which works for us, Manhattan or no, you're in Nashville. Uh, at the moment, <laughs> yeah, at the moment I'm in Nashville. Yeah, no, um, no, that's, that's crazy. You say that though, the, like the Bayside Island, because you guys are kind of in a bit of your own world, you know, where, and I mean that in a good way. Like, you know, yeah, you guys have yeah, a real... It's by design. It is definitely by design. Oh, it is? Okay. Well, I mean, it was... I guess at first, it took us a while to realize we did all these support tours over the years. I mean, we opened for Fall Out Boy. We opened for Mest and Juliana Theory and and Hawthorne Heights with you. You know, like, yeah. we, we did all that stuff. And it never we never came off of any of those tours being any bigger. And we just kind of noticed more and more, like the fans that we had that were coming to our headline shows, like they were really just Bayside fans. You couldn't really like put them in a category of like, well, they like Bayside and, and this band and this band or what, you know what I mean? It's like, they like, yeah, they like Bayside and Alkaline Trio. And those are the two shows they go to all year. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> sure. that's who our fans are. So we were just like, well, fuck it. Like, why are we wasting our time with time with like trying to piggyback, you know, like, let's just do our own thing, you know? Yeah, no, and I, I mean, you guys have done done very well, and it's it, that's interesting. You say that it took you a while to kind of figure that out because it was, you know, most bands they kind of have like, you know, their first record does well, then their second record kind of blows up, mm-hmm. and then like that's definitely what happened with Silverstein and what happened with like, you know a day to remember to bring them up for the fifth time. Yeah, but you know, with you guys, it seemed like your second record sort of got people talking, and then. When you put your third and fourth records out, and you put them out kind of near, like I remember them coming out feeling like really another Bayside record already, right? Yeah. And, and but when those records came out and they were really good, I felt like that's when people took notice. 
you know, uh, after yeah. Shudder, you know, week, um, uh, Walking Wounded and then Shudder, I felt like that was when you're like, oh shit, this band is, you know, like you really started developing that fan base. Well, I mean, it's funny because with being on Victory, you know, I mean, we, we, I think pe- a lot of people didn't really realize what we were, you know, like our, I, I talked to a lot of people who, our own agent, picked us up when the third record came out and we uh and he told me the first time we met that like he never even listened to us until that third record because he assumed he knew what it sounded like right you know and like i was just with the no effects guys like two days ago and uh, even those guys said the same thing say like same exact thing like it took a few records for the or like they were in somebody's car and it was playing and they were like what is this like yeah. oh, this, this is what bayside sounds like Right. You know, so it was, I mean, and so that was sort of like, you know, the slow, steady build that we've had, it, it was definitely a blessing, you know, because it, sure. it, it definitely, it's helped us to have like the longevity and kind of become what we are. But I think it was the fault of like trying to fit into a scene that we weren't fitting into. Right. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But at the same time, you're still kind of a part of it, I think. You know, they're like, I, I mean, maybe it's just a Silverstein Bayside, like, you know, yeah. uh, you know, well, us we touring together back, so much because right. we go back and victory and everything. But I still see like probably way more like more Bayside shirts at our shows than maybe other, any other band. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I know we did the co-headline tour and we were both like, yeah, it was cool, you know, but uh, definitely we have so many of the same fans, you know, for whatever reason. And you guys were like one of the first bands we ever befriended. Do you the remember road. the Do you remember the first day we met, Anthony? Yeah, in Columbus, <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, we were. I was both there playing separate shows in Columbus. Well, well, no, that's, that's didn't not we meet right. like on the street? We met like we, walking down the street, right? I know the story so pretty you guys well. Look, you guys look like a band. Yeah, that's right. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. We we rolled in uh, to this venue. It was called like Bernie's or something, mm-hmm. and we we like didn't really know anything about the show. Right. And we knew we were playing with you guys. So we were like there and it was just the two bands and the promoter was being weird. And then we found out there was another show down the street and it was with like Branson and Love Drug. Yeah. Yeah. And these. Right. So we're like, well, hey, can we just combine these shows? You know, it'll be like a five band bill and like it'll be like way better. (laughs) And I think Branson was the headliner and they didn't want to do it. Uh, so we're like, fuck. So what we ended up doing, if you can recall this, and this is 2003 for the people listening, um, we actually ended up making like posters and walking around the Ohio state campus and handing out flyers for our show. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, and the show ended up, yeah, we, we, we couldn't join, join the shows together. Uh, and we only had, fuck, we probably had 20, 25 people at our show. Yeah, but, not but a we've bad been friends show. ever since. Not a bad but show for for, for those days. It was it actually was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. we weren't yeah. even signed yet at that point. I think you no. guys had just signed to Victory. I'm not even sure if your record was out yet. It had like just um yeah maybe it hadn't come out yet. It, that was like one of our first tours, maybe our first U.S. tour ever. Yeah, and, that's uh, a long time ago, man. Yeah, it is a long time ago. It's crazy, man. And then we did, and then after we signed a victory, and our record wasn't even out yet. We did the we did the the full U.S. tour together. We were playing in like barns and shit. Yeah, that's, well, that was yeah. We that was the first time we'd ever went to the West Coast actually with you guys. And I remember mm-hmm. you guys were playing because you know when you're new bands, 
I remember we played a show specifically at like Omaha, at like a bowling alley. Yeah. And there was two bands, just us and you guys. You guys played five songs. We played seven, and that was the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember. Do you know what I remember about that Omaha show? Me and Bill in a in an effort to try and make the the show interesting for for ourselves me and bill were trying to compete with who could wear more layers of clothing on stage <laughs> so we were just so the two of us played with like sweatshirts and jackets and scarves and hats on and shit just to fucking make each other laugh so funny the ranch oh, bowl the ranch bowl in Omaha. the ranch bowl that's the name yeah yeah no that's crazy man and and um yeah, that was that was like crazy back in those days. You know, you had uh, Jim playing drums and Andrew. Mm-hmm. Who, do you keep in touch with those guys anymore? Uh, nope, nope. Well, Jim, <laughs> nope. Jim, we do. Jim, we do. I saw Jim, yeah. Jim comes out to the shows. He lives in San Francisco now. He cool. comes out to the shows sometimes, and we hang. And he was at Jack's wedding. That was cool. We got to spend, you know, so we spent like a whole day and night together at Jack's wedding. Right. Uh, Andrew, I don't, I don't really talk to at all. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure where he is. That's cool. No, I remember um, the dynamic was interesting back then, too, because Andrew was, I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually, he told me that, that he kind of was the lyricist in the early days. Like on he the was. Sirens yeah. and Condolences record. Yeah, he wrote the lyrics and, on that record, yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought that was interesting because, you know, this is obviously the Lead Singer Syndrome, you know, podcast, so we talk right. a lot about, we talk a lot about that stuff, like writing um, lyrics and writing melodies and stuff like that, you know. And I always think it's strange when, obviously, you're the chief songwriter in the band, you write the music, to have somebody come in. And, and did you just take, like, his notebook and kind of adapt the words? Yeah, or how did exactly, that work? exactly, and exactly. And it was awesome at the time. It was like, I mean, for one, writing lyrics now is so fucking stressful, you know what I mean? I, like, labor oh, yeah. over them. But um, at the time, it was awesome because I just write a song all instrumental and then I would, yeah, literally he would just give me his notebooks and I would go through them and I would come up with melodies. Like I, I already have kind of melodies in place, but I would just yep. be singing like la 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 over him. And um, I would just replace the la la la's with his lyrics, you know, I would just kind of start singing his notebooks. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was, it was definitely a fun way to do it. And then when he, uh, when he left the band, I was a little like I was a little bit like oh fuck like can I write lyrics because everybody liked his lyrics you know yeah. that was like a oh, part yeah. of, on the first record that was like a kind of a big part of the band and I was like fuck can I write lyrics like that and then you know okay it worked out I guess it definitely worked out no I actually remember that thinking that to myself um, you know when uh, the self-titled record came out your second record thinking to myself huh I guess Anthony's going to write the words now and is it going to be like way different you know because right, right, yeah. the first record it's fucking dark, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess you, I guess in a way he, he inspired you with those notebooks to kind of figure out, you know, how to write a bass, you know, like it's yeah, kind of a weird thing good. now. He was a real, I right, mean, and that's right. why before he was in the band, I was writing the lyrics and, you know, it's nothing, they're, they're nothing that I'm like super proud of. And when he joined the band and started showing me these notebooks, I was like, wow, well, what you're doing is way better what I'm doing. So let's, yeah. just, let's use yours. But yeah, and then when and then when he left, like I guess you know, I guess I could say now that I I, I did probably learn something from, sure. from his uh, from his writing. No, that's yeah, that's uh, that's cool. No, I always wanted to ask you about that, uh, and you know, because yeah, for me, like it's funny you say you labor. It's funny you say you labor over lyrics because I'm the same way, man. Like I it, like I'll sit in my house and I'll stare at my notepad. 
for like an hour. And if I come up with like four lines of a verse in an hour, I'll be like, yeah, that's good. I'm done for the day. Oh, totally. Yeah. If you write you know? one verse in a day, like yeah. that's, that's a good day of work. Yeah. I know it's crazy. And I talked to some, that's me. And some singers, they just like, I don't know how they do it. They just shit it out. Like it's like crazy. Oh, I They're feel like oh, yeah, just songwriting in general, man. I like two Brian Fallon from Gaslight and yeah. John Foreman from Switchfoot. Those two dudes, like when I talk to them and they're working on a record, they'll be like, they'll be like, yeah, I wrote like 40 songs. So we're just going to get in the studio and see and kind of pick the best ones. I'm like, how do you write 40 songs? You know, like, we're gonna have, I, like I'm we, not, I can't do it. I mean, either we're going to, we're like, we put 11 songs on a record and I write 11 songs, you know, like yeah. we don't, we don't have like a bunch of B sides or anything. I no, don't know. I know. I've never I know. been I'm like, the, I know I'm the same way. way, man, because part of it is like, okay, if you were going to write 40 songs, okay. And you're going to pick 10. Why are you wasting 30, like 30 songs? Like what you're just going through the motions on a song, you know, isn't really that great. I think so. Because, you know, I don't, have you ever had Conley on your show? Chris Conley? No, I would love to talk to him. You should, you should. Cause he's like probably the, the, he's like a guru, you know what he likes. Right. He speaks in like one liners, you know, like, a, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like brilliant. Um, but that's one of his big things is like, he always sees a song through. See if I, like I, the way I am. And I think the way you are, if you start working on a song and you're not, you're not in love with it. You just ditch it. You know, if it's not good, oh, yeah. you just ditch it. No, you start working on something else. Chris's whole thing is like, he, he wants to write a song every day and he wants to keep his writing chops up. And if he doesn't love something, he tries to not over scrutinize it. Like he just sees it through, like he'll finish it by the end of the day. And maybe six months from now, he'll listen to it and be like, Oh wow. If I change that chord, then right, like, sure. it's a much better song. Yeah. I feel like the, the problem with that though is like, at the core of songwriting too though like obviously it's our job and this is like what we do for money and and stuff like that right but you still i still have to feel inspired and i still have to feel like some kind of magic you know i feel like there's some kind of magic kind of has to happen so if, if i was going to say all right i'm going to write a song a day for the next like two weeks i'm gonna write 14 songs i don't think i'm going to wake up every day and be like okay this is like i feel like this is going to be good today you know what right. I mean? And then yeah. it, owns, it almost ends up being more like scientific than artistic. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. I mean, like I, I, I've been asked to do like ever since coming to Nashville, I've never really been very interested in the co-writing scene. Oh yeah. But, in Nashville, shit, you got to do it. Yeah. I've never really been that interested. And then ever since like getting the place here, people, you know, people just call, you know, you, you don't even like really try, you don't try yeah. to get involved. People just, they, they know you're around and they know you're a writer and, People, especially like being in Bayside and stuff, there are people who kind of grew up on the band and stuff who now are like country singers or writers or whatever, and they they like. Well, don't uh, downplay don't downplay your ability as a songwriter. I mean, I know you know what you're doing. Yeah, but, yeah. but continue, continue. So, so they'll so I've gone to a couple of them, and it's just it's the weirdest scene, man. You sit there for like six hours with two other people. And like you write a song in six hours and like you need to leave the session with a song because they have another session at night and they have another session in the morning where they have to write two more songs, you know? And I'm just like, man, I can't write like that. It takes me like three months to write a song. I can't write like in one sitting. I also can't write with other people in the room. (laughs) Maybe it's not for you, man. (laughs) It's definitely not for me. I, I like, you know, we figured out like Bayside's way of collaborating on songs. Like I work on songs on my own at home come up with like sort of a basic idea and chords and melodies and stuff like that. And I give it to the band and then they kind of, 
they helped to shape it into like a Bayside song. And that works for us. But like, I can't like, we've tried to like write at practice or write in the studio, like all in the same room. And I can't do it. Like I need to sort of like be in, engulfed in it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. I totally know what you mean. Although I will say that once in a while you can kind of have that moment where there's like five guys where you're like almost jamming mm-hmm. and then there'll be something cool. And like we, I'd say like with Silverstein, we probably have, you know, if we have 12 songs on a record, probably like two of them will come out of it just from kind of fucking around. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like those songs are, are, are different. And, and like in a in a good way, like they're kind of the fun songs, and then they end up being the songs everyone likes the best, right? Because everyone kind of had a hand in them. So I, I think that that stuff is uh, can be can be kind of cool too. We'll do that on parts and stuff like that. Like yeah, we'll, like a, but I kind of need the song to be there, and then if we go in and we say, oh, the verse feels dull or whatever, like we'll jam on the verse for for a yeah. few hours and and kind of see if anything sh- takes shape, you know. But yeah, like, but I can't go are... in with no chords. I can't go in and just be like, I don't know. Here's a thing, you know. I can't like I, I, I'm like I can't I can't do it that way. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast so much is that I get to bring brand new music, great music, right into your ear holes. And today I've got something super new and awesome: a brand new band called Best Case. Super super new. Hailing from Atlanta, Best Case could best be described as blending emo, pop-punk, and alternative with a touch of nostalgia, but of course, I'm going to let you decide. Here is a clip from their debut single, Heavy Seas. Could compete with the disease, some moments that you've lost and gained were a bitter pill, but you, you ingested the pain. There it is. Great stuff. And check out the very emotional video for the song on YouTube as well. The whole album is out July 12th. Make sure you follow the band on whatever streaming service you use as well because you do not want to miss it. It's produced by Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, Mayday Parade and Cartel. And the band also features drummer Ben Cato, known for his work in his previous band, The Dangerous summer we love them around here so go check out best case it's brand new you heard it here first and thank me later head over to bestcase.band for links to everything or simply search for best case wherever you get your music Have you talked to, um, you said you were hanging out with No Effects the other day. Have you talked to Fat Mike about songwriting ever? 
very like briefly, briefly, and I think th- I think we only really realized the other day that they were. Uh, and this is even more from talking to, to like the crew about it because I like. It is, I mean, it's a little hard for me to get to get time with him because I'm. Uh, like you, you know me. You've known me for a long time. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't like. You <laughs> it's know hard to I mean? get time with him because you don't do I'm drugs. I'm not a partier. I don't even stay up late. You know what I mean? Like you've known right. me for a long time. I'm yep. like for. I'm like no, not even a beer after the show. Like straight to bed. Yeah. Rest my vocal cords <laughs> for tomorrow, kind of person. And like, and that's not to say he just parties too much for me to hang out with. But those are his hours. You know what I mean? You want yeah. if you want to chill with if you want to chill with him, you're chilling with him. Like after the show later on you know we i was with like the crew guys all day and i think mike was asleep like we met up at like around one for lunch and they had a a book signing later in the day and uh at like say it was like seven o'clock and mike woke up at like six you know what i mean so i just didn't even see him before he had to go do his thing yeah it's Uh, i just bring it up because you know back on warp tour you know i'm a poker player uh, you know um i'm not a drug guy either but uh you know, I'm, I'm a big poker player, and we used to play poker like every night on the Warp Tour back in was it '09? You guys did it when it was us, you guys, and No Effects. I think it was 2009. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I used to talk to Fat Mike all the time, and um, and talking to him about songwriting is like crazy. Like, he He's really, the real deal, man. He's oh, the real man. deal. Like the the some of the stuff he does is like insane with mm-hmm. with chords and melody. And he was actually talking about you. Uh, one time at the poker table, just like it was kind of like what you said earlier about being like, oh, I don't know. I like thought, you know, I thought this band was this certain way. And then I actually heard them and I realized that they weren't. And he was like b- kind of blown away with, you know, some of your chord progressions and melodies as well. Yeah. You know? I think so I, that's like why a, I asked you if you'd ever talked to him specifically. It's funny. There's a big mutual respect there that I, I don't know that like, um, that I realized until more recently until I hear people be like, yeah, Mike was talking about like your songwriting. I'm like, really Mike, like fat Mike from no effects was talking about like, he knows like my chord progressions. Right. You know what I mean? So it's a, it, I think like we're, we're kind of both just learning that, that like we're sort of cut from the same cloth as far as songwriting goes. We're both yeah, big no, fans wild. of that, like real weird whimsical sort of, you know, chord progressions and like the, the sort of vocal melodies that go on tangents. You know what? You know what? Uh, actually, I was talking about with No Effects the other day is so many of their songs don't have choruses, and you don't yeah. really realize that. And somebody was telling me a story that like Mike was talking to somebody about that, and they were like, "Yeah, what do you mean? Of course you have choruses." And he's like, "Yeah, name a song. What? What's the chorus? You know, like Linoleum does not have a chorus. No, crazy. I know." It's that's the thing though. You can learn so much from from that band and their songs. That's one. Of, that's why they're one of my favorite bands. I know they're one of your favorite bands too. So, yeah, you know, it's crazy, man. But um, yeah, Mike's the real deal. I don't think a lot of people really realize that either. Have you, you read know? the book? I'm in. The, I'm like halfway through it right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm about sure. halfway through it too. It's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it is fucking gnarly, man. It is yeah. so gnarly. I was out. I was out the other uh, the other night with uh, with Chad and Haley, and I, w- I was talking about the book, and I had only read like the first maybe twenty five pages at that point, where it was only yeah. just talking about their childhood. I was like, it's so fucking gnarly, and they haven't even like started no effects yet, and it's so <laughs> yeah. fucking gnarly. And like we all know, like what what happens after that, you know, we all know like right. with the newer stories of their, like of their debauchery or whatever. Oh yeah. Cause uh, a lot of it was on TV. Yeah. yeah. 
And so now, yeah. And now, and I was like, I, I've only, I haven't even gotten past like their, them being teenagers. And it's so fucking gnarly already. I know. I know. It's crazy. It's but it's crazy, great man. though. It's great because it's, it, the book is great. Cause it's not just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you agree, but it's not like shock value at all. It really is like pretty riveting and it's a fucking great story. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. And like, it's, it's, there's something real about it too. You know, it's like, it's, I don't know if I, how I'm, if I'm describing this badly, but there's something real about it in that it, they're like real people and they're real kids. It's yeah. not like the Motley Crue book where they're like just total douchebag rock stars that don't care. Right. Like they seem right. to care, you know, in, in a way like they want to get fucked up and get laid, you know, in the book, like they say that, but, but in the Motley Crue, it's like, they're almost like <laughs> bad people kind of, right. you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like no effects. It doesn't seem like they're not bad people. It's just a lot of crazy shit happened. And I well, think it's also really difference. interesting. It's interesting to find out how they became how they are, you know, like this, right? the, the road to it and their, what their childhoods were like and what it was. I mean, I love all the stuff about growing up in like the LA punk scene in the 80s. That shit's super yeah. interesting to me. Absolutely, man. Well, let's, um, first time on the show, um, and I, I don't know if I know much about this for you. So will you talk about your upbringing in uh, New York? Yeah, I grew up in, in Queens. And, uh, it was pretty normal. I grew up in like a, like an apartment, um, like pretty, like a two bedroom apartment, me and, uh, me and my brother and my mom and dad. And we were there, uh, we were there like, until, I guess I lived there until I like moved out pretty much in, in this right. like, uh, yeah. in this like two bedroom apartment in Queens, it was in like a little neighborhood called Glen Oaks is kind of right, like right by, uh, right by Bayside. And, um, yeah, I mean, and it was it was kind of normal. I played little league, you know. I've always been really into baseball. I know, me and you talk about baseball sure. a lot. I was really into baseball, and um, and then I started playing guitar when I was like nine, and uh, started like playing in punk bands. There, there was a library close by that like used to do punk shows like every other month or so in a the, library? Ba- in That's the basement. Rad. Yeah, like in the I basement of the library. Yeah. So, uh, my first band was called the Flame and Moes. From uh, from the Simpsons because <laughs> like every band every like band name has to be a Simpsons reference and um, and uh, yeah we played we played our first show at the at the Great Neck Library and um, were you singing at this point or just playing guitar I never sang until Bay- we started Bayside we we, we started Bayside via an, a Long Island like scene message board that um, somebody was trying to put together an Operation Ivy tribute. And I was playing in like <laughs> a band at the time. And, you know, the guys I was playing with didn't, wasn't, you know, they weren't really trying to do it seriously. And I met these three other guys on the message board who were also in bands with guys who weren't trying to take it seriously. So we were like, well, let's just start our own band. And like, we'll go on tour and, and everything, you know? Cool. So, yeah. So we all met up and we just kind of, we all met up at like uh the night we met up for our first practice was like the first time we all met each other. We just like talked on like this message board. Sure. Yeah. It's funny how that, you know, that's, I guess that's now how it works too. It's just like Facebook or something, but yeah. It's funny so how we so all, long ago it was still kind of the same thing, still using the internet in its primitive, yeah, very primitive yeah, it time. It was definitely an AOL, like a via AOL for sure. Yeah. And yeah. we all, so we all met up and everybody kind of played the songs that they had. And like with songs that they had written and like sang them. And everybody's like, well, like you can hit the highest notes. So you're the singer. 
you know, I guess crazy, you should sing. Yeah. I was yeah. like, all right, I guess I'll be the singer. And I've, I'd like never sang in a band before, uh, before the first bass I'd practice. So funny. Yeah, that's so crazy. So did you, you say sing, you're in a guitar. Did you sing before, before Silverstein? Were you always a singer? Dude, the same story, man. It's, and I love these podcasts. I talk to people, it's the same story. I got a guitar, I was probably about 10. My dad, my dad played guitar, so there were like, there's always like acoustic guitars laying around the house. So, yeah. you know, my dad would play and sing and stuff. And um, I heard Metallica. Pretty much the story. I heard Metallica, and I wanted to do that. I didn't even know if it was guitar or drums. I just knew it was heavy. And my sister's like, "I think it's guitar." I'm like, "All right, I'll get a guitar." And um, <laughs> and you know, like the chugging. You know what I mean? I didn't know what that was. Right. If it was like double kick or if it was uh, guitar. And I uh, got a guitar and literally like just took guitar lessons and got pretty good. And then again, yeah, joined up with a bunch of friends. And literally, I was the only person that could carry a tune. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just by default was a singer and I yeah. never wanted to be. And then, you know, I always was a guitar player first and now I don't even play guitar in Silverstein. So it's kind of weird. But yeah, that's that's my story. I listened to your uh, to your episode with that, that Adam Lazaro was on. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's it, a bass player, right? Yeah, it's it was like, like how the same story. That? They were like, you're going to that Eddie just like like pointed at him. It was like, you're going to be the singer. yeah i laughed my ass off when he said yeah the singer quit and eddie's just like you're gonna be the singer it's like (laughs) i guess i could figure out how to do it yeah i know man it's 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 really funny though how how you know we're from all different walks of life you know what i mean and and different places and it all just seems like the same kind of story you know and it's I always find that interesting, but so you got a guitar when you were nine. How did that come about? What um, kind of it, drew you to that? It's so it's actually a hilarious story. I had just gotten Nevermind. Nevermind had just come out. Awesome! And, um, what a record! Oh yeah, still and listen I, to it. Like I, I still listen to it like every month. It. Oh god, I loved it. And like, and there was a there was a girl that I that I told. I was out nine. So what are you in like the sixth, like the fourth grade or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> And there was a girl that I told that I knew how to I knew how to play um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit," <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and you know all the kids thought that it, that was so cool, which like clearly I didn't. I didn't even know how to play the guitar, but I, I told everybody that, and everybody thought I was really cool because of it. So I like begged my parents to get me a guitar and get me lessons. They're like, "All right, I have to learn it now. Like I have to learn it, or else everybody's <laughs> gonna find out. Everybody, everybody's gonna figure out that I was lying." So, um, yeah, so I got a guitar and then I, you know, the, the rest is, the rest is, uh, is history as they say, just so kind of never looked back. How long till you actually learned smells like teen spirit. So you first can show lesson. your friends. First, le- first, nice. well, okay. well, you you know, first lesson I was learning like what, a, how to hold a pick and, and stuff like that, you know, but yep. definitely the first song we learned after I learned how to play a power chord, the first, first song was, I was like, I have to learn smells like teen spirit. I feel like the first riff everyone learned that's our age is the "Come as You Are" riff. Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. That, yeah, yeah, that one. That's like everyone's first riff. Yeah, back back uh, if you're if you're you know between the ages of thirty and thirty six. That's it. And then Green Day, and then Dookie came out mm-hmm. shortly after that, and right. Smash, and then exactly was, and those then records, was, man. And then it was punk and and uh, punk and Drublick around that time. Yeah, so, and then it was just punk. It was punk from then on. Punk, punk, punk. Yeah, I and like. I was always more into so like throughout high school I was I was more into like uh well obviously I loved all the fat stuff and the epitaph stuff like I like I know you did also. Sure, yeah. Um 
And uh, but and I was always in, into more like the street punk stuff and the oi stuff. Like I've always been a big Toy Dolls fan and Angelic Upstarts and Oxymoron and stuff. That was always my scene. Cool. But in New York, like the hardcore thing was starting to really like brew, you know. So like me and my friends were kind of like nerds for like in punk rock instead of like when we we'd go to St. Mark's, which is where all like the punks and the hardcore kids hung out when I was in high school. And um, that's where there was like all the clubs were over there, like in the Bowery, like St. Mar- like there was Coney Island yeah, High and CBs yeah. and all that. So we were going, we were going to those places in high school, and it, and that's when kind of Madball was happening and stuff right. like that. Sure, of course. And so we were like kind of nerds for having spiky hair and and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like that here too. I mean, even Toronto, it was like that. There was definitely a big division between like punk rock and and like the straight edge vegan hardcore scene you know yeah and for me i was like i guess i was kind of a part of both of them but you know not like like a part of both of them but also part like kind of not a part of either one of them at the same time you know what i mean and i just love music like i never was that caught up in in the uh like I don't know, I don't even know if I had spiky hair. You know, like I just kind of didn't care about the the fashion of it as much. And in some ways, I st- still probably care even less than I did back then. You know, mm-hmm. but I like I love the music, and I'd listen to you know I'd go to hardcore shows and punk shows or whatever. You know, I guess the only thing I cared about other than the music was the message. You know, obviously, like I right, I know right. you, you used to be vegetarian, you know, back in the day too, and mm-hmm. you know, so that stuff was important to me, but. In terms of the fashion or like the being cool part, to me that was always like the worst thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it's funny because I like being a punk kid. I, I really liked like Seven Seconds and Youth Today yeah. and Minor Threat, but that was like that was punk to me. You know what I mean? Like right. that sounded like the fast punk bands that I liked. Sure. What like I didn't really make that correlation that that was early hardcore, you know? And yeah, well, like um, I've even, spoken to Baker, uh, like uh, Brian Baker, like a whole bunch of times. He was in Minor Threat, like at, of at the outset of of the straight edge movement. And um, uh, we've we've spoke a lot about like where straight edge has gone compared to where where it was. You know, he was telling me, like he said, there, there was like a straight, straight edge, edge scenes. Yeah, well, there, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was saying back then there were straight edge scenes where kids did like smoke and drink it wasn't like as hardline as it is now it was more oh, yeah? crazy it was more like <clears throat> it was more like a mentality you know what i mean it was more like don't be a shithead you know what i mean it, yeah kind of where it's become more like not a drop of anything not don't you know you don't touch anything and I, you know, there's people definitely take something to be words. said about that it's it's it, it's pretty it, it's still i think at its heart it's still a pretty great movement you know but it definitely you know it's gotten a little weird i guess yeah, well, I mean, with some of the, like, straight-edge gangs and stuff, I guess, and, like, some of the violence, uh, that's, you know, that's some of that stuff's pretty fucking fucked up and crazy. But, no, I, I agree with you, man. Like, there's nothing wrong with not getting fucked up. Like, <laughs> let's not be stupid here. Right. You know? But but I think you're I think that's funny that you say that because that always happens. Somebody puts it out, and now, like, the, the lyrics for, for, like, straight-edge or out-of-step, you know, like those old Minor Threat songs, like, people, like, treat them like they're scripture, Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I know there's the one line in, um, I think it's out of step, the song when it's like, don't, like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't fuck, at least I can fucking think. Yeah. So then there was like the whole, oh, well, if you're straight edge, you can't have sex. Do you remember that? That right, was like yeah. a thing too. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, just because Ian McKay or Mackay, I don't know how you say it, um, just because he put that in that song. That line, like he he could he could have sat there like we do in our apartments, pondering the lyrics and been like, huh, 
going to change that word. And then strategy would be completely different. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's but interesting. Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, I mean, that was pretty much high school to me. We would just take the train from Queens into Manhattan and, and like hang out on St. Mark's, go to shows yeah. at Coney Island high and CBs. And, um, and that, you know, and that's, that was my goal at the, at the time with my bands. It was just like, like, man, it'd be so cool to like, to like get real gigs in Manhattan, you know, play it like, play at Coney Allen High or play at CB's or something like that, you know? It's funny, yeah. I, I've said, it, it's really funny, and I, I, and I feel like you're probably in a similar boat where, you know, I, I've been going through sort of a, 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 a really great realization in my life where I'm just super satisfied with, like, where I am and what I've done and, like, a lot of the, like, wanting has like sort of like faded away with cool. you know because That's really i'm just cool. so yeah i'm just so satisfied with like my daughter and you know my my bills are paid and they're all paid through playing music and i get to play music every day and i get to make a record every other year and i get to go on tour and play shows and that's my life and and the success has gotten to a point where where i can where i'm satisfied you know what i mean if right. we get bigger then cool if not cool whatever you know what i mean I'm satisfied. Absolutely, man. In that sort of process, I've realized, like, man, like, I kind of feel like our band is bigger than like almost any band I grew up listening to. Yeah, that's a weird. That's a very weird realization to think about that. Yeah, Yeah. like I remember thinking, I forget who it was that I met, but it was somebody in an old band I used to listen to, and I kind of was talking to them, and I noticed they were sort of sucking up to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was like, this is weird. I was like, this band is like way bigger than my band. And then I actually, you know, when you actually think about, you know, the venues you saw the band play in, and then, you know, you see how many records they really sold and you're like, I guess it wasn't that big, but you know, but your, but your perception of it is, is like way different, you know, um, uh, you know, now. So, uh, or, or back then it's crazy, man. It's crazy thing. Yeah, I mean, CB's only held like four or five hundred people, you know. Yeah. And that would have been. Uh, I saw Bad Religion on the on the on the uh, gray area tour there, and I just remember thinking, like, God, this is this is crazy. This is the biggest show I've ever. Like at that time, it was like the biggest right. show I'd ever been to. Yeah, well, Bad Religion did some big stuff too. I mean, maybe they were just oh, really yeah. big in They've Canada because yeah, that yeah. that kind of music is just huge here. But um, no, I know I know what you mean, man. And it's it's uh, it's wild, but that's that's like really a really cool thing to hear from you, from you to say that, that you're just satisfied and you're just content. And it's because, and, and part of it, you know, is like, you know, back when we were on victory, which I want to talk about a little bit in a second, but you know, when we were in that, those days, it was like, all you were ever thinking about is how can we get bigger? Yeah. Like yeah. every step of the way, it's like, what can we do to get bigger? What can uh, we, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and when finally, when you realize like, you know, yeah, you, I don't know how you 33, 34 now. 30. Uh, yeah. 33. 33. Yeah. Um, did you forget? I, do you know what? Like <laughs> a couple of months ago, I told somebody I was 32 and I was, and I was totally serious. I like actually forgot. <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> it, it happened to me at a, at like a casino one time I was walking in and they asked me how old I was. And I said the wrong age. I, showed it I, was, like, I'm, I was like, I'm not lying. I just, I don't remember. <laughs> No, I think it was my girlfriend at the time was like, no, you're not. I was like, oh yeah, shit. I'm 30. I'm actually, yeah. It's so uh, weird. But, but no, you, but what I'm saying is like you get to this age and, and you know, if you can be happy, uh, uh, where you're at, you know, and you're not trying to live this fucking pipe dream where you're like, maybe our song's going to get to radio and it's going to go to number right. one. Yeah, and yeah. So once you kind of leave that all behind and you just 
you're just happy with, with who you are, what you are and what you're doing, then I think that that's the key. You know, I think that's the key to, to, you know, being happy, which I guess is everything, right? Yeah, dude, there was a real sort of turning point in that for me when we were doing, when we were, when we had the killing time record out, we were on wind up, um, the sick, 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 sick was like at radio and it was doing pretty well. It went to like number 20 on, on, on the chart. And it was like, Whoa, this is like, we're going to be like green day. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) We're going to be like green day. We're going to be a big radio punk band. And, uh, we were fucking busting ass and we were doing all these things and these like that just sucked. And like they started to like wear on radio us more shows and more. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shit like that. And stupid interviews where they're asking you the stupidest questions and you have to do every single piece of press that comes through. Like nowadays I almost, I do like almost no press, but yeah. it's like you had to do every single piece of press that came through and yeah, all the stupid, like playing to radio station stuff. And then, we played a show in like upstate New York. I can't remember. It was like Syracuse or Rochester. I don't remember which one because we had done a couple with them. It was us and Bush and Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. And <laughs> and um, there was like it was like in a field, and there was like ten thousand people there. It was fucking huge. And um, Long Island Fest was happening like the same weekend, like long, at a VFW hall in, uh, and I'm the Avalanche was like headlining it. Yeah, and we did this show, and there was a fucking Confederate flag merchandise booth, like at this thing. What? They were selling like lighters and wallets and hats and flags and shit like that. It was so <laughs> shitty. I just remember thinking, like, we got off stage, and I remember thinking, like, I would fucking, I wish I was playing Long Island Fest. Like, I wish we were, I wish we were playing with I'm the Avalanche at a VFW Hall in Long Island right now. Right, and that was like it. I called our manager. I was like, yo. Just tell the label no. Tell the label we're out. You know, like we don't do this wow. shit anymore. And we just wow. started saying no to everything. Every like station visit, which you have to do when you're doing a radio campaign. Like the days just sucked. It was like getting up early in the morning to do some shitty, like wacky morning radio show. Oh, that's you the know, worst. like the oh, man cow so show and these like zany morning personalities. Yeah, with dog so, and the bear. Yeah, so stupid. And we were like doing those every morning. And then we'd go do like an in-store or something like that in the afternoon. And then we'd go do another station visit like for an afternoon interview. And, um, and then we'd play the game. By the time we played the gig, it was like, fuck, like I'm, ex- I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. I got to get up at seven for the fucking, yeah, for some stupid show. Yeah, so man, that's so, it okay. Just, it sucked. So we were just, so that, and that was like a real turning point. I was like, I, I, I wish I was playing with I on the Avalanche at a VFW hall on Long Island instead of playing to 10,000 people, 10,000 Stone Temple Pilot fans. It's really like, funny you say that, man. And, and um, uh, you know what? I wonder if now that you guys have done that and you've like, you've left it behind, if now that's like when the success is going to come. Like when you put out Maybe. vacancy, yeah. and now it's like all, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like brand new. You know, um, and I love brand new. Don't get me wrong. Love the band. One of my favorite bands. They managed to do everything wrong. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. from a career perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like they, but they can't do anything wrong. Like they're always, they're, they're bigger than they've ever been. People love them, but they like, they don't care. You no, know, and they don't do any press. They do shows where they play the same song twice. They like they 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 play venues that are too. They do album al- full album tours where they only play three shows and they're in venues that nobody can that are too small. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do everything wrong. 
and and but it's fucking great because the cream rises to the top. They're a fucking amazing band. <laughs> I guess that's all you that matters I mean? in the end. Doesn't right? matter. And like yep. here's me, here's me and you spending years like scrutinizing every fucking decision, every like <laughs> you know what I mean? Scrutinizing yeah, I every I like who should we take on tour? Who should we open for? Where should we play? What should our promo photos look like? And like those guys just don't give a shit, but their music speaks for itself. And that's like the most valuable lesson that any fucking Absolutely. musician can learn. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me about this new record, Vacancy. It's out August 19th. Um, what was the approach going into it, and, and how did it turn out? Uh, I'm in love with it. It was the most difficult record to make by far. Like, with the whole time, we, we were laughing about... Um, I hope we got enough time on this interview because this like vacancy story is pretty. Dude, I got crazy. I got as long as you want. We could, dude, we could go for another hour if you want. I don't care. So we um, and this is you know it was cool. This is the first interview I've done on this. Uh, oh, on nice. This cycle. Awesome. So this is like awesome. I'm going to tell this story a hundred times, but you're going to get the fresh version. Okay, of it. perfect. Yeah. So we uh, so I wrote the record about. I moved to I moved to Nashville about two and a half years ago. Uh, with my wife at the time and we had just had our baby and uh, the plan was to kind of come down we were going to buy a house maybe two as like investments because the market was is kind of yeah. really really doing well here and we were able to get in cheap at the time and um, she uh, she was going to open a ta- like a tattoo shop and we were going to have that and with the whole plan being let's go down there for like a year or two and we'll kind of plant those seeds we'll have the shop we'll have some houses and then we'll move back to New York, you know what I mean? And we'll just rent out the houses. It was kind of like, that was kind of the plan, you know? And, um, so we came down and after a year of being here, um, we split up and, uh, so it was kind of, it was, it was fucked because like I kind of, I then had to stay because her, her family was here and she was going to stay. She had the shop and, and all that. Right. So she was like, well, there's nothing for me in New York, so I want to stay. And I was like, well, if our daughter stays here, that means I have to stay here. You know, and that was – so it, it, it was fucked. I was fucked. I was like truly, truly, truly fucked. It was so painful because I was like – Damn, dude. Dude, do I just live here now? Like do I just live in Tennessee like alone too? Like I'm not married anymore. I don't really have a lot of friends here. I don't have any family here. I was like, do, so I just fucking live here indefinitely, like until my daughter's old enough that I could I could move back home. So wow. it was a crazy. I mean, it still is. It's still going on. It's like pretty crazy, super isolated time where I was like, I, like, and I, I just didn't know what was going to come next. You know, it was like for the first time in a long time, like I did not know. Uh, I kind of have prided myself for a long time on having my shit together. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, and it sure. was a, it was a moment where it was like, Oh my God, I don't even know where I live. I don't even know what fucking state I live in. You know what I mean? Like, am I going to move back and like be away from my daughter or am I going to stay here alone and just martyr myself? You know what I mean? And, and Damn, just man. be fucking lonely, but like do it for her. So it was, a, it was a fucked, real fucked up moment. And that's so I moved out of the house that her and I lived in, and I moved into like an apartment for a little while just to sort things out, you know. I kind yeah. of just signed like a short lease at an apartment just to wow figure out if oh, am I going to buy a new house here? Am I going to move back? Am I going to stay in this apartment? I, you know, so it was in Franklin, Tennessee, and I was calling at the Franklin Hotel because people would like come over, and I didn't unpack and I didn't hang anything. 
because it was just like right. I don't even know. This is like a stopover. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to stay here. I might live here forever. I might. I might leave next week. This is dark times, man. <clears throat> it was dark. It was real dark. Yeah. So I was calling at the Franklin Hotel, and that's where I wrote wrote the record. I wrote "Vacancy" like in this apartment, and I had like a couch and a TV and my bed and my desk and my computer and my guitar and everything else was just all my boxes of stuff, you know, just waiting to kind of figure out where they were going to go. Right. <clears throat> and I wrote well, the record. I see where the there. title, I see where the title of the record comes from. Exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah. we were calling it like the, you know, it was sort of a joke at the time that it was, it was just like the hotel, you know? And, and, um, so that's where the hotel on the cover comes from. Right. Sure. The whole hotel, the whole hotel theme. Of it. But then, you know, the vacancy thing is sort of like, uh, like um double meaning you know because yeah, it was like absolutely. it was like the physical feel. yeah it was the physical yeah. and the emotional sort of thing i was going through so um and that's what i wrote the record about it is the most it's definitely the most cohesive record lyrically that i've ever written for sure where there's a theme for sure you yeah. know there's like the whole record really is about what i was feeling and it's not a typical, and I, I really made sure I did not want to write like a typical breakup record. You know, it's not about my, it's not about what happened. It's not about the breakup. It's about the aftermath, really. It's about like figuring out, figuring out my life afterwards, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and um, yeah, and it's, it's the most lyrically honest record that I've ever written to the point where when I play it for people now, I'm like, you know, now that we, now that it's, it's done, uncomfortable. it's uncomfortable when I play it for people. Cause I'm like, Oh shit. Well now they know that about me, yeah. you know, it's, it's weird. It's yeah. It's really uncomfortable to listen to it with like in the presence of, of friends. Wow. Man. You know, cause people are kind of like, Oh wow. I didn't even know. I didn't know that you were, I didn't know it was like that, you know? Wow. No, I, wow. I can't wait to hear this record. This is, uh, this is crazy. You know, I, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I actually just went through a breakup myself. Um, oh, uh, four, and a, four and a half, four and a half years. Yeah. It's like the same kind of deal where I'm, you know, off my own and it's the same thing. Like, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, fuck, like I'm 35 and you know what I mean? It's like, what am I doing <laughs> now? What? You know what I mean? And yeah. you have, you have your daughter and stuff. I don't have any kids or anything. So, you know, so for it's me, for me, it's like I'm going through that same kind of thing where I'm trying to figure out, yeah, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's crazy, man. And it's, yeah, it's funny we're talking about this now. Um, yeah. But, I mean, but it, it's, it's, it's heavy, interesting. man. It's yeah, heavy. It's heavy. I go, it's just I go interesting days because, without leaving the house because I don't have anything to do. I don't have anyone to go see. I don't have anyone to go hang out with. I don't have anything to do. I got like literally, I go days without, like, <clears throat> I have my daughter, um, you know, I'm, I'm real lucky and, you know, and my, my ex and I, I think have been real good about a kind of co-parenting and, you know, yeah. the, everything, you know, went kind of as smoothly as it could have from that standpoint, you know, I have 50, 50 custody of my daughter. So I have her for, for a whole week, every other right, week, you know, right. so it's just interesting because you said before how, how content you felt, you know what I mean? And you, you know, yeah, it's weird. It, it, it's it, weird. It, so I guess that's a, it's a positive thing though, in the long run, like you, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel because where I'm at right now and it's still very fresh, like it's hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, for it's, you know, life, I think me and you have been doing this long enough though, that we know that life and your career are two different things. Yeah. Well, they're, I guess they're supposed to be, but sometimes you wonder, you know, sometimes it's like your life is, seems to be your career and your career seems to be your life. Yeah. For a long time. I mean, the band was just everything, you know, and it's still, I still love it just as much as I ever did, but I learned how to like go home 
and not be in the band, you know, like go home and just be like a guy. Yeah, that's no, man. That's uh, that's something I think I struggle with, to be honest with you. So yeah, but, it uh, is hard, but, man. It's yeah. hard, especially being a singer back to the lead singer syndrome. Yeah, it's really hard. And a lot of people don't realize this. Even the people that that are in the bands with the singers, I don't think realize you have to get on stage and be the man. You know what I mean? And then like you spend years or decades working on that, like working on going on stage and being the fucking man, being like the guy that all the other guys want to be like, you know, like that's your job, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. And then then you get off stage and you're supposed to just turn that off. Don't think you're the man anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Get on stage and believe in yourself, you know, but be an ultra confident, like just fucking ooze confidence to the audience while you're on stage and then get off stage and turn the confidence off because it's off putting to your friends. You know right, what I mean? It's, it's fucking, it's fucked it's up. You have it's to impossible. Be, yeah. You have to be humble and yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, fuck. <laughs> that's, that is like, that's the basis of the lead singer syndrome. That's, that's like, right. That's where it comes from because you're, you have to do interviews and play shows and fucking ooze confidence and just be the man. And then if you get off stage and you still think you're the man, now you're a dick. That's so fucking great. You nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. It took us six months of this to yeah, finally right? figure out where this all stems what is from. lead singer syndrome? But we figured it out. That's, 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 what, that's the cause right there. Yeah, but you know, what's, a lot of people do cure? it. A lot of people do it. Like, yeah. d- d- a lot of people can do it. You know, there's a lot of, you know that. I mean, not clearly. Well, I mean, I, I remember even saying. you. I mean, I've known you since, you know, we were both baby bands. And I mean, I, it took you a long time to kind of find that like on stage persona definitely. you know i remember yeah, one definitely. time i remember one specific show i don't remember what like what it was i feel like it might have been a festival or something and all of a sudden you're there like you know getting the crowd to clap and and doing like a thing where like there's a kick drum going and you're like doing vocals over it and i was like oh shit anthony like figured it out you know what i mean Cause, yeah because you dude. know and i guess maybe part of it's because we come from this punk rock hardcore scene where that isn't as much a thing it just uh, comes from, it, like I said, it comes from being able to ooze confidence, to be so right. hyper confident, and like, and you have to, you have to own that. You have to really be fucking hyper confident. And like, I just wasn't for a long time, you yeah. know. And yeah, no, neither was I. <clears throat> and it's funny. I remember a show. I remember we were playing in Corpus Christi or something like that, okay. or McAllen, and Doug from the Sleeping. I remember talking to him, and he was always such a good front man, and like they were opening for us. And I remember just thinking like, God, he's such a better, he's so much more exciting to watch than me. You know what I mean? Like I feel fucking weird going on after him because he's so exciting. He just owns the crowd. And I just go up there and I play my songs. And I remember talking to him about it and he was like, yeah, why don't you try like putting your foot up on the monitor or something? (laughs) (laughs) He was like, give me like specific advice on like how to perform better. And I did it. And now to this day, like I use in-ear monitors. You're going to fucking laugh. I'm really, I'm really fucking le- opening the curtain here to, the, to anybody listening. But okay. <laughs> to this day, I use in-ears, you know, so I don't need monitors anymore. And I keep the wedges in front of me just to put my fucking foot up on them. It's like part, it's like, I feel fucking so weird if I can't now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, well, there's always those part guitar parts thing. that are harder too. You got to get the guitar up to. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, Jack does all those. Uh. Yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, what a guy! What a guy! What a guitar player! Yeah, nice to be uh, nice to be in a band with Jack. It makes my job easier. That's funny. Yeah, you still have the wedges up there. Well, we we just have the we have boxes. We just put up there. Right, right. You know, so we have like we don't have monitors. 
because we use in ears too. But we have like we actually have our own boxes to stand on. The ego boosters, which right, right. is a funny is a really funny term, ego ego booster, ego riser, because that's what you're trying to do. Use that true. confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing. So, you know, so that, so that kind of, that's where going back, that's where vacancy came from, the writing of it and the meaning behind it and all that, the songs. Um, Making the record was crazy. Like making the record, we made it in Nashville because I have my daughter here. Um, Yep, Jack lives there too, right? And Jack lives here too. And Jack, when we were making the record, Jack had just had his baby. His baby was like, two months old two three okay. months old like, wow. wow just had the baby and we knew while we were planning the record that we had to that we had so that that was going to happen he hadn't had the baby yet and we were like yeah but by the time we go in the studio like he's going to have a newborn at home we like so between you know my situation with my daughter and like i said i don't have a lot of friends here i don't have any family here i don't really have any help with her so my weeks with her like i, I worship those weeks you know like of course so i was um so we were saying, like, we have to make the record in Nashville because Jack and I can't leave. So the, uh, so the guys came down to Nashville. It was really fucking hard. It took us a while to find a producer. It took us a long time to find a producer. We met with a couple of different guys and got all the way through the point of going over songs, going wow. through notes, all that. And it kind of was, they were all kind of falling apart for one reason or another, whether it was money or they didn't want to come to Nashville. They didn't want to spend, cause you know, none of the guys that we were talking to were from here. So a lot okay. of guys that were like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go live in, like I'm 55 years old. I'm not going to go like live in a hotel in Nashville for five weeks, you know? Sure. So, um, so we, we, we started talking to Tim O'Hare who had done, uh, yeah, say lots anything of record cool and, shit. Yeah. So much yeah. cool stuff. Uh, Sebado, Say Anything, All-American Rejects. Oh, yeah, I mean, All-American uh, Rejects, too, right? Yeah, so, he like, so much cool shit, but from he did, like, really cool indie shit, he did really cool punk shit, and then he did really cool, like, pop shit. You know, mm-hmm. it was, like, cool. Like, this guy kind of... and you know, <clears throat> Yeah, he gets it, and Bayside's music's kind of all over the place. <clears throat> so it was, like, yeah, like, somebody who kind of gets a lot of different styles would be would be great and tim tim just he was actually just nominated for a tony for uh he did the sound design for hedwig and the angry inch oh wow um so we're like yeah dude he fucking knows and bayside and like we've been saying this for a while it's like nobody really realizes it but bayside is show tunes bayside is like punk rock show tunes (laughs) you know like all i totally know man i know dude all like the weird the weird inverted chords and stuff yeah Yeah. all the inverted chords the 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 time signature changes the key changes all the drama in our music like that's that is all straight out of show tunes like we i write show tunes and then we speed them up (laughs) you know like that it's funny and nobody really realizes that and i was like dude a fucking guy who does punk rock records who knows show tunes like like he's gonna get it um and he did and he totally got it and it was a cool and it was a it was a cool process. His his process was super stressful for us, though. Oh, the way um, he works? Just the way he works was very stressful, and we were all at each other's throats through the whole record, which is that's the recipe for the best for the best records. Um, yeah, sometimes, yeah. And <clears throat> dude, like we went, we we so we moved into the studio, and we got totally duped on this one studio. The fucking train was about fifty. The uh, a freight train was about fifteen <laughs> feet from the front door. <laughs> And it was coming by like every 15 minutes, blowing who the built, fucking who horn. Who would build a studio there? Dude, that's not even the worst of it. It was attached 
to a factory. It shared a wall with a factory. The live room shared a wall with a factory. So when you went into the live room, the machinery from the next room was so loud that the live room was unusable. You couldn't use the live room. Because ridiculous. of the bleed from the fucking machines. It's ridiculous. And the vocal booth was getting bleed from the fucking trains. The train horn was coming through the fucking the vocal mic. It was fucked. It was so fucked. So you're literally like, in the middle of a, of a session and the train comes by and you have to stop and wait for the train. Well, we, di- we didn't get that far. Because okay. we, so we, we started doing the drums. We did the drums in about a 10 by 10 iso booth because we couldn't use the live room so the drums got recorded in like a fucking iso booth right and we like it it was a fucking nightmare there was a one there was one bathroom that was shared by for the studio and the fucking factory so there was always somebody in the bathroom you had to walk (laughs) through the factory you had to walk to the back of the factory to fucking insane yeah to use the bathroom so we were just like peeing outside we were just going out and fucking peeing on the on the train tracks (laughs) so so it was just it was fucking it was so crazy and then so we did the drums you couldn't really hear anything because the the control room was like enormous it was the size of a live room and all wood and treated like a live room it was like dude you can't hear all the sound is bouncing all over the place you can't really hone in on anything when you're sure hearing playback like we, we recording the drums in this 10 by 10 room you're worried that you're not going to get enough room sound right so course, we're listening yeah. back so we're listening back and you hear all this room sound. But we're like, is that coming through the takes or is that the playback bouncing around the room Fuck. we're listening to it in? Yeah, Bizarre. it was fucked. So we Bizarre. started doing guitars because we always do guitars before bass. We always do drums, guitars, bass. We, we always do guitars first too. Yeah, it's good for tuning. Yep. So <clears throat> we were doing so – so we start doing guitars – and then there's like latency on the guitars. We're like, all right, that like that's the we're like, out of here. That we can't we can't get through that. You know what no. I mean? So that's we, weird. So if this was at like nine o'clock at night or something like that, and we called everybody we knew, and we we're just like, we need to be in a new studio tomorrow. All the while, we have this deadline, hard deadline to finish the record because we're already booking the tour that's going to be around the release of the record. And we're yeah. only a week into recording it at this point. So we're like, we have to fucking finish this record on time. So we, so we call everybody we know in Nashville. We're saying we need to be in a new studio tomorrow. Like, and we need it for like four weeks. Who can get us in tomorrow? So we get a call. A good friend of ours is, uh, he's like an auxiliary musician for Kings of Leon. Okay. And, uh, he like is their touring kind of guitar player and keys and that stuff. And he, uh, you might know, you know Ethan Luck? I'm he sorry. In, do you know Ethan Luck? You might know. He was in Reliant K. No, I don't know. I don't think I know him, no. Well, so Ethan calls and he says, uh, Kings of Leon has this, co- like, basically a compound. And okay. We and there's a giant. It's basically like their own personal SIR. It's a huge soundstage that's like wow. just for them, and they have a fucking badass studio in there that they re- that they record like their demos. They actually did their last record in in their compound. Like it's all this stuff. I could go on and on about how crazy nice. this place was. He says they're in LA recording their record. It's empty for a while. Like they said, you guys could have it, and we kind of worked out like a figure, you know, a, a budget yep. that worked, and so we recorded it at like kings of leon's like private kind of demo studio that's, that's where we finished that's, the record that's so yeah and you don't know those guys at all no and it was super weird they had all this gear there and and like we were so worried because there was cameras and shit and we we're all like 
fuck, I like, don't touch anything we're not allowed to touch. Don't fucking like, if you sneeze, cover your fucking mouth. We're just like, kind of like so scared. <laughs> do, they, do they have like, did they have like old amps and stuff, but you weren't allowed to use them? Um, they took a lot of the amps. They had a shitload of guitars and we weren't allowed to use them, but they, yeah. they had taken all the, they had shipped all the amps to LA for the recording. Oh uh, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah. So, that, so we finished the record there and we were just kind of like up against it. Like by the end of the session, we were calling, we called Arun from Saves the Day to come in. We called Steve from Punchline to come in and, and engineer like side sessions. Wow. We set up a second computer in another room. Cause they're, I mean, it's just like they're, they're kind of project studio, you know? So there wasn't like a B room or anything. So we kind right. of created our own B room and had like Arun and Steve coming in to like record background vocals with me while Tim was in the main room, like doing Jack's guitars. Wow. Like, so you really real time crunch. <clears throat> yeah. It was just the whole, the whole process was crazy. And there was still a train that would come by that studio too. <laughs> so wow. it, it was the whole process of making the record was nuts man and we left the studio without roughs and we have the label breathing down our back of what song do you want to be the b-side what's the sequencing gonna be we need to get the artwork together for the vinyl all the shit like i haven't yeah, even yeah. heard the fucking record i haven't even heard the fucking record i, I like i can't tell you what the sequencing is it's crazy yeah so it, well, it, who picked, it was a did, crazy did you process up, you didn't even pick the sequencing we picked the sequencing on the deadline after you is, heard all the mixes today. Today was a deadline to get the to get the vinyl in to get like the master to the vinyl, right? And uh, the artwork to them and all that. And um, the record got mastered on Wednesday, and that was the fr- and we picked the sequencing on Tuesday night. We made that's a sequencing crazy. Wednesday got mastered. Uh, and then that's when the artwork was able to get finished on Wednesday because that's when we had the sequencing. And then, uh, and then today it went out to press. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think it's almost a good problem. If you're not sure about the sequencing uh, and you're kind of good with like whatever sort of works, in a way that can be good because that means all the songs are pretty good. Yeah, it is you good. It's, we're actually having a really hard time. And, you know, this, I, mean, I don't know, maybe just because none of them are sort of standing out in the, in the single sense, or maybe just cause they're all great, but we're having a really hard time even picking what the single is going to be picking what the first song release is going to yeah. be. We, we announced the record on Tuesday um, with pre-orders and all that. And everybody's like, you're sell- you're, you're selling the pre-orders and you don't, you haven't like released a song yet. We're like, it doesn't exist yet. This is the day before mastering. <laughs> <laughs> we announced the record the day before the record got mastered. We were like, it doesn't even exist yet. We couldn't release a single if we wanted to right now. That's funny. Even That's if we knew which funny. song it was going to be. And now I think we're going to release a song like in the next couple of weeks. Good, good. And uh, we still don't even know what song it's going to be yet. It's a, this is a, it's a crazy process. But we're just crazy. like, this is all too fucking weird for this not to be good. I think that's, I think there's something to that. Weirdly enough, I think that's a real thing, man. No, that's, uh, that's rad. Can't wait to hear it. Vacancy, August 19th. Uh, when you, we go on tour two weeks before that, what are you doing in the meantime? Um, man, not much, to be honest with you. I don't know. I kind of started writing a, like, uh, I started writing a book, like, last year. Oh, yeah? And I didn't get, I, you know, it was just something I kind of did for, for fun, really. I just, you know, just kind of started throwing a few things down. And I didn't know that I'd ever, like, get back to it or whatever. It was just kind of like... Is it a novel? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fictional, like a fictional novel. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, and it's, it's nothing right now. It's a few pages right now. But 
over the last few days, I have four months off. I mean, like now that right. the record's done, I have four months until the tour starts and I don't really have anything to do for in those four months. So I was kind of thinking like, I need a project. I got to work on something. Like maybe I could start writing the next solo record while I'm sitting around. Maybe I can, or maybe I'll get back to this book. Or like I got to do, I got to be productive somehow for the sure. next four months. I can't fucking watch TV and like, you know what I mean? I got to do something. Yeah, well, I mean that's cool. No, so um, well now that. that you've now that you've told everybody about the book on this podcast, you got to do it. <laughs> so now you're committed. Yeah, right. Everyone's the, gonna the people are gonna come up to you at show at a show and be like, "I heard on Shane's podcast that you're doing a book. When's it coming?" Right, exactly. And you'll that's be like, "Oh be, yeah, yeah, that's so not happening." And that's gonna be the news <laughs> the news item that gets picked up everywhere. Nobody's gonna pay attention to the next single. It's just gonna be like he's writing a book. He's writing a book. Just like well, the worst, like your worst press photo is the one that you're just going to be everywhere. <laughs> of course, of course, <laughs> of course. That's very funny, man. Well, hey, we're, um, this is probably the longest one I've done. Um, why don't I let you go? But we'll do it. We'll do a part two. Maybe once the record's out. Yeah, uh, sure. And maybe, Whatever you know, you want, we'll see, we'll see where you're at with, uh, with your life, man. But thanks for, thanks for do, taking the time and, uh, you know, and, and pouring your heart out to this man. And I, I really hope. Uh, everything goes awesome with the new record and everything you know you got going on in your life. Yeah, same to you, man. I hope everything. Thank you. I hope you, I hope you get it all figured out. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. So thank you. Yeah, well, it was great. It was great catching up. I, I miss you. Yeah, but we See didn't even talk lot. about your solo stuff. I miss you too, man. We didn't talk about all the solo stuff you're doing, or like so much we didn't talk about. We didn't even talk about victory, and that was what I want. And that's what I wanted <laughs> to talk about because I had um, I had Tommy from Between the Buried and Me. I talked to him yesterday, actually. Oh yeah. And so he's going to be. I think you're probably going to roll this one out first, or then him. I'm not sure which one. But yeah, we were talking about victory and stuff, and I was like, man, this is like a little bit of a victory, old victory days story time and i'm sure you got some some tony stories so we'll save it for next time yeah yeah for sure i would i would love to do it again i'm glad we finally got to connect absolutely anthony thank you man all right buddy i'll talk to you soon. all right yeah you have okay. a great day you too Bye. all right yes yeah hey you guys still there <laughs> it was a long one but wow we we covered so much ground and we didn't even get to everything so i'm sure once vacancy comes out uh we'll try to do it sooner than later we'll have anthony back we'll tell some old victory stories and uh and and we'll just check in and see see how he's doing and you know see how i'm doing as well as always, I'm going to leave you with some tunes. Um, if you like the show, please go on iTunes, write a review, preferably five stars. It really helps us out. It really helps us just get this podcast in front of more people, you know, keep it growing. We'll get better and better guests. Um, so I'm going to pick as if this isn't long enough already. I'm actually going to play two songs. I'm going to play my personal favorite Bayside song, which is called Just Enough to Love You from their first album. It's a bit of a deep cut, but what a song. And then I'm going to leave you with actually a Silverstein song uh, called Texas Mickey, which Anthony, we brought Anthony in and he sang on and he did an amazing job on it. So I want you to hear both those songs. So I'll leave you with those two tunes. And uh, hey, thanks a lot. We'll see you next Monday. All the best. Peace and love. Push me out from the darkness into a sky that's colored blue Somewhere someone finds a happiness Well, I'm still here, so hung up on you Nothing is real And I want you to
Let's 